are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. a pretty packed show we had a couple of weeks off there so this is going to be a lot of fun getting back into it now i've been playing detroit i don't know if any of you have i think joe you said you have been right yeah that's correct i have been okay quite a bit or just a few hours not a lot really okay okay marty uh marty no definitely not vince what about yeah, you no no not really buying any 60 dollar games right now okay all right uh, I'm going to go first. I've I've been playing it um, a fair amount. I, I'm nowhere near finishing it, but I, I've put in a, a number of hours. I, actually, I played a number of hours today because I had to take a sick day. And so uh, I've been talking with my son a lot about it because he's been playing as well. And after the demo, I felt pretty good about the game and what we could potentially expect. And then after I played a little bit, uh, a lot of that was confirmed. Not all of it, but a lot of it was confirmed. And it didn't take long for me to really settle in and go, okay, this is is what I wanted by the look of it. Maybe not as extensive, but we'll see. Because again, it was just forecasting at that point. But I, I was blown away. And Tristan actually really dove in deep and and it was funny because it was it was akin to some of the games that that we all played where you don't want to spoil anything for the other but you really want to talk to them about it and with this he was waiting for me to get caught up to him so for a couple of scenes because he was saying that what and I, I didn't I never went back to ask him what scene he was talking about but he had to get up and and head to work he works uh uh, later shifts and so he was getting up and going but like reluctantly <laughs> he really wanted to stay back and finish and keep playing this game but he was saying there was one of the scenes that he played through was he he couldn't think of a better gaming moment that he's ever had in his life and sure he's young he's 21 but he's gamed a lot we've gamed together and everything and he's just a smart kid so like i wasn't surprised by that because I've already had a few moments in the game that blew me away, that were really spectacular. And and again, while there were a few things that I wasn't as crazy about, they were pretty minor, for me at least, based on the choices that I took. There certainly wasn't anything that that offended me that I thought went too far, uh, because there is clearly some violence there's quite a bit of violence that happens early on but it never felt to me like it was gratuitous and all of the the acting is so incredibly well done that it's it's a rare combination of cinematic event and game in that more so I'm trying to think of a game that I thought was 
that was less more seamless because it's 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 almost seamless at points like you're just kind of there's some that are are a hard reset where you're kind of like switching around the camera to behind the android but a lot of times you're just playing you're in that world you're inhabiting it and from within the game because you're playing as an android a lot of the mechanics that like the ui different things like that kind of makes sense and doesn't take you out because again you're an android so whether you're scanning things as connor or whatever it kind of makes sense and then because of the way that they handle choices as well as the manner in which your andrew your character essentially breaks free of that programming Joe, have you gotten that far on any of them? I've gotten pretty far, yeah. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. I do. So there's a... I should have said this right from the get-go, but this many episodes in, people, you should know by now, there's going to be spoilers. When you are faced with that critical moment in each of these characters' lives where they want to break out of the programming and do something that clearly they shouldn't be allowed to do. It's kind of a a cerebral thing where you're put in their heads as if you are trapped inside. And it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like when you use the, I call it the detective mode, but there's kind of an investigate mode so you can see things that you need to activate and whatnot. And uh, it, it reminds me very much of detective mode in, in Batman. So when you're, it kind of looks like that and you see your character and you got to hit the various buttons to essentially break through that wall. That's the order the command that you were given. And that kind of releases you. And, and I thought it was really cool. Like it was really well done and it does kind of make you feel like you're in their head trying to break free of this. I, I found it cool. I don't know about you, Joe. There's a lot of really cool things in general about the game. Um, and I don't want it to seem like I hate the game. I don't. Um, I, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. Currently underwhelmed, I guess, would be the best way to phrase it. Um, and it's not because of the story. The story, and I think the, the writing and the acting is, is fairly solid. Um, but things that I've noticed, at least from like a technical and gameplay standpoint, are making it difficult for me personally to play the game. I I don't know about you, but I've encountered a lot of like visual bugs that make the game almost impossible to play in parts. And I'm playing on a very I'm playing on an older PS4, and I think that that may be part of the problem although i didn't have this issue with any of the other games that i've played recently like god of war or or um horizon zero dawn or anything like that um but it almost seems to me like the game was overcoded for like a ps4 pro model and so like i've got weird things where like half of my characters that i'm interacting with are in like another space and time which is really weird can you explain what you mean by that, please? Because that doesn't really describe. Anything. Okay, so let's let's say you're you're interacting with somebody, and you know how when you have the conversation, and the camera will like quick pan between the two uh, involved in the conversation as you make your choices, and the the dialogue unfolds. Um, I've had several instances where 
that person that you're interacting with or possibly, you know, or in several cases like me uh, has been there and then half their body goes at a 90 degree angle, um, like just randomly. It's really weird and off-putting and very, very buggy. Um, that, that has not happened to me a single time. Like, yeah, that's so I don't know. bizarre. I, but honestly, for something like that, I would uninstall and reinstall it in case there were some corrupted files. I did. Um, it still randomly happens. Really? I'm not the only, and I'm not the only one that this is happening to. There's a lot of people that are having this particular type of problem occur. Um, I've also had input issues where. Hold on. Could, before you move on from this, though, could I ask you another question, please? Sure. Does it appear, you could see that we're two texts talking here, you kind of narrowing shit down. <laughs> Does it appear to happen in the same scenes or with the same characters? No. So and you like, can't recreate it. It's just completely random. It's just completely random. Um, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating. This is why I haven't played it quite as much as I would really like to, um, because it just occurs. It just like randomly pops up and there's no rhyme or reason to it which really makes me irritated. Um, and like I said, I know I'm not the only one because I've been seeing reports of it uh, from other places. I mean, hell, uh, fucking Kotaku does a highlight reel every week where um, they'll show like various clips that are submitted to them throughout the gaming week. And like one of those clips made it onto there from somebody who experiences that exact same thing. Um, I'm gonna have to look it, for that. I, I want to see what you're talking about because that's yeah. It, it's, it's so basically it's it makes them look what like a cube. No, like they're 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 normal like body shape, but like let's say you're walking and then all of a sudden like your legs are perfectly fine and straight up, um, but at the waist down, your body just pulls oh. off to a ninety degree angle. It's super fucking weird. Yeah, no kidding. And then I've had some weird things where. I've had input lag. Uh, I've had uh, things where I've made a choice, but the choice hasn't registered. And it's not the controller, and it's not the, the the PlayStation because the controller works fine in literally every other game. But I've noticed it particularly with the quick time event type stuff that happens, which I'm not exactly a fan of to begin with. I don't like quick time events, um, but there have been several interactions where there's like an action sequence or something along those lines where you have to make responses. And it sometimes just drops those inputs for me. And so, like, I'll push the fucking button and it'll be like, oh, okay, you missed it. Sweet. Okay, great. Now you're going to get punched in the face. Like, it's it's really weird. So, like, m my complaints with it aren't anything to do with story or quality of, like, the cinematics or anything like that. It's just weird gameplay bugs that I've experienced. So, I at this point, I've stepped away and I'm going to let some patches come out because... Fuck, I don't know what else to do. I've done that with games as well, so I, I, I completely understand. Uh, funny enough, that that has not happened for me, Al although I will say um, that's it's kind of a complaint of mine with the what I think to be an overuse of a variety of different buttons or combinations of buttons to do or different motions. things or the motions i while i was playing today 
which again was not a good day to start with. And I thought this will be a nice relaxing day before I know it. I'm fucking flinging around the controller like mad <laughs> for different yep. scenes. And it's like, I, I did like not bank on the dishes. Well, that's to register. You had to violently shake the damn controller. The, uh, there's a few where you also need to make sure you're not letting go of one. Like when he's climbing out of the graveyard, you need to make sure that you're hanging on to one, because if you let go of that one before pressing the other one, you slip and you fall. That kind of thing I thought was kind of intuitive and I liked it. Those kind of, but there were other scenes where it was too much and not just for somebody who's fucked on pain meds, just plain too much. And because it's a whole bunch of different shit, it reaches a point where you're like, okay, you're trying too hard. So it takes you out of the game, and and that I yeah. wish they did differently. Now, this is another complaint that I have about this type of game in general, too, is that I wish there was an accessibility mode or something along those lines to enable, because this is a game that somebody like Tart can't play because of those sequences where her hand, her hands may not be able to complete all of the motions or button presses in the manner in which they need to. Um, and so I know that there are several people that, that just these types of games in general, uh, especially like the, the grave sequence you're talking about, it's something that they can't do entirely because their hands don't function, uh, like a quote unquote normal person does, but there's no option for like an accessibility mode in the game or anything like that, which I know it seems like a minor complaint to those of us that are able-bodied, but for people that have sort of those disabilities, it's something that I would love to see implemented into those games because fuck people deserve to have fun with that stuff too but again and i don't want anybody to think that i'm crashing on the quality of like the storytelling or the ambition of the game because you can see it's there and you can see that they're they're massively hitting close to their mark when they do those things um it's just it's it's not nearly as polished as i expected especially having been delayed this long and getting it when, like we were supposed to have it last year and it got pushed back. And I'm like, that's fine with me as long as everything is good. Well, everything's not good. See, because I haven't experienced what you have, I, I can't be as critical. I obviously believe everything you're saying and sure. I understand what you mean. And I'd be pissed too, because I would have been expecting something that, that was better. I, I haven't had any of that. So for me, it's for me, literally, with but a few minor quibbles, like I said, this has been a highlight in gaming in general for me. Like, it's been that amazing uh, a story, that engaging uh, a gameplay. I mean, even, even again, Chore Simulator 1000, you start off with Kara. She is a caretaker housekeeper type of android so of course you're going to be doing chores and initially i thought oh fuck i don't want to play a game where i'm playing chores but immediately heavy rain all over again yeah but it's it's a it's fast it's not a big deal you're not it's not like you're scrubbing and then b it's over quickly so that you can continue with the story but it also immediately puts you in that mindset that this is your role. This is what you're supposed to do so that when you are then interacting with the little girl, 
it's that much more impactful, especially because you know you've been there before. You just got reset because Todd broke See, you. And, and the other problem with, and you're talking about Kara in general, and the, the other problem that I have, this is another thing that I have an issue with in that particular, for that particular event too, is the way that storyline plays out is there's a couple points where if you're not quick enough, doesn't matter what you do for the rest of that sequence, the outcome comes down to your reaction time. And I don't like that. And it's it's one of those things where if you spend all of this time building sort of a bond with a character, um, and, and it talks about the branching paths and your and how you're supposed to have these outcomes dictated by all of these butterfly effect choices that you make essentially throughout the entire course of that chapter, to have it come down to uh, like a button press between two different outcomes is disappointing i guess would be the best way to put it so I, if i may sure i agree with you completely that that being said though and and this is not apologizing for them or, or justifying that choice and i agree with you clearly a hundred fucking percent on the uh disability people with disabilities trying to game like my fucking myself like yeah you don't have to sell me on that trust me i understand and i wish more gamers cared more about people that they did that that's i know that sounds harsh but that's a reality um and as for those those button presses i've noticed that as well and here's the thing like i said i completely agree with you and, and I think that if you asked Tarts, you'd probably understand what I'm saying. As someone with a disability, unfortunately, as much as you get really ticked off when things are going wrong or people just treat you like shit, you also get used to shit. And you have to rationalize shit in your brain just not to be mad all the time. So sure. when I'm playing this, I'm like, Okay, I see what they're doing. You wouldn't have a lot of choi- time to make choices or whatever. I My response time is fucked right now because I'm on three different kinds of painkillers. But, you know, the Android got clipped in the head a couple of times. Maybe they're drowsy. And you have to do this in your head in order to be able to enjoy the game. Again, I completely agree with you. I wish it was not there. I just rationalized through it so that it didn't irk me as much moving forward. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I understand where you're coming from on that. It's just to me as somebody who doesn't necessarily suffer from the same disabilities is that that part of it, like, isn't even factoring into my reaction to like the button presses. It's, I, I just don't like when you're telling such a great story and developing characters and attachments so well, and, and it's something that this game does really, really well. I, I will give it credit for that, that all of the work that you've done essentially comes down to some, and I'm not, I shouldn't say all outcomes come down to this because I don't know. Um, but I've had several cases where it doesn't matter what I've done. It matters whether or not I can push a button. And that feels, it, again, just disappointing is the only word I can think of because it's the same thing that happened with uh, Until Dawn, right? Like Until Dawn was a great game, great storytelling, has a ton of different different paths that you can walk down, different outcomes. And as far as like 
telling the story of the characters goes. But no matter what choices you make, no matter what those butterfly effects are, it comes down to how quickly you react, whether or not your characters survive in a lot of those cases. And it, it feels like it takes away, at least to me, and this is my personal opinion, it takes away from all of the character building that you've done up to that point, because that scene, while it had a life and it had that chapter had sort of like this life breathed into it from everything that you've done and interacted with. And then it's, did you push X in time or not? And if you didn't, then all that hard work meant absolutely fucking nothing. Now, and before we go any further, do <laughs> We may be slagging on them and haven't even fucking checked. I know I didn't. Did you check in the options if you could slow down that timer? I did not see anything in the options. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure just in case it's actually there. Yeah. So if it is and somebody tell me in the comments or hit me up on Twitter and, and point it out to me because I haven't found it. But it's it's just disappointing in those types of games to me. That, that okay. That's what it boils down to. You know and what I mean? I, I agree. Let's move on, though. Uh, I, I do want to touch on a few key points that I really was impressed with or, or that I thought was well done. Again, the stuff with Kara, you are basically in a very bad home where the father is using and he is abusing as well. His wife just left on them uh, and the mother of the child. And so there's the very clear point where you are either going to obey or break through. Through, I don't know if you actually have a choice narrative-wise or if you have to to progress through the story. It would kind of make sense. And all of the things that you did prior, which is, again, where that, that the chores are actually had a purpose because you essentially found things along the way to to unlock options moving forward so then when you go when it's it's clear that the little girl's in a lot of danger you break free and you go and then you have different options now did you escape with the little girl or did todd die in yours todd died okay did you kill him uh nope same here so that we can probably agree as well because we were just bitching about having to press a fuck ton of buttons all over the goddamn place and weird motions and everything. That fight had way too many of those options. Way, way, way too many. Yeah. And, I, I, and this is somebody who's not addled on like, you know, medications or anything like that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, and then you escape with her and you have to do, you basically, you have to find her a place to crash overnight and, and things like that. But what I really enjoyed, and I, I don't want to go too deep into it because again, people are going to be doing it. What I really liked is that again, going back to, there's a lot of different options. And if you look at those flow charts, some of those chapters, some of those scenes have a lot of things that can be done. And so when you are out with her, you also have a choice of, again, as cheesy as it sounds, the type of android you want to be now that you're woke. Do you want to be somebody who hates humanity and will just destroy them? Do you want to be one that is a protector of this little girl but still tries to be morally good and things like that? Because as the options present themselves, 
it it's still nuanced though and not always a I don't want to slag on Telltale because again over the years too their choice system has gotten more complex but it's still pretty clear one way or another whereas you know what you're picking in a Telltale game yeah whereas with this I found again with Kara she feels for this child she's going to do everything to protect her and I feel that she could be just a little have a, a slant now to her morality that allow her to do some things that she otherwise wouldn't. But I don't want to go outright she's murdering people to protect the little girl. And I hadn't yet thought about it because of the choices that I'd made and where I was sending her first and kind of looking around. And I went into the convenience store. So when you're in the convenience store, you can ask for some money so that you can rent a hotel with the little girl. But of course, the cashier says no. So then if you have the gun with you that belonged to Todd, then you can rob him. But what I really liked was that before she robs him, she asks the little girl to wait outside because she doesn't want her to see what's going to happen. And then later on, when you're doing something else that would be illegal, the little girl stops you and tells you this is wrong. And you can either choose to say, yeah, but we need this or we need to survive or whatever, or you're right and stop. And I've found those kind of things in each of them, each of their choices that make it so that it's not such a clear one way or another. Even if you're making good choices, sometimes you can like in the case of robbing the cashier, you're doing it for hopefully the right reasons. And you can even talk to him to the point where he almost kind of willingly, because he does have a gun as well, gives you the money because he understands. Like the way in which that choice system is put through is very, very impressive. And I and a credit to the people who are doing the writing because it's, again, very nuanced. And then... Connor, <laughs> has your Connor died yet? Nope. Okay. My Connor died right <laughs> the fuck away. <laughs> like, the first quest that was in the demo was the first quest that you do in the game, and it just happened. You would think I would have planned better having done it so many fucking times, but it was like it just played out that he did the one where he shoulder checks the guy off yeah. the... Uh, Karen's home. Shut up. She, um, let's just pause. Wait, a, hold on one second. <laughs> let's try that again. Of course, now I can't even fucking remember what. <laughs> Connor. Connor. Poor so, planning on your part. Very poor planning. I pulled, uh, I pulled the little girl so she lands on the roof. And then, of course, the, um, I, I fall to my death. And then there were a few other scenes in between. And I didn't return to Connor. So I was like, ah, shit, I'm going to have to replay the game just so that I get to find out what happens to Connor if he doesn't die in the first fucking scene. And then there's another scene that comes up, and it's Connor. And I'm going, did I do something? Did he get repaired? But it's never addressed. You've seen Westworld, Roger. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's not addressed. So I was like, whatever. So I did the scene. I died again. In my defense, this yep. was a fucking good death, though. <laughs> and it was very impressively done. Um, but then it's the next scene with him. You're kind of in an eerie setting, and there's a woman there that you're talking. And that's where you find out 
there's always a Connor, but there's only one. He's their most advanced prototype, and that's why he helps with investigations of deviance in, in the world. So when he dies, his memories get just jacked into the other one. But when he dies, there is some corruption to the memory. So basically he's told, try not to fucking die. So on my next scene, I tried really fucking hard not to die. And I haven't yet. But I had to pause for the recording of this this, this episode. So the Connor character is proving to be very interesting. But not just because of him, but in typical buddy cop show dynamics, he is paired up with Clancy Brown's character. So you have some ridiculously good scenes between the two of those that I have been absolutely loving. From what I understand, too, like his his arc is one of the more divisive at the end. So I'm, I'm going to be curious what you say when you finish everything all said and done. Yeah. Oh, I, I love his character because again, it's the subtlety of the choices and, and what you, how, how you interpret what you see is very cool. That little circle of their temple, you wouldn't think such a simple little aesthetic would be as impactful in a story as it is. However, it allows you to see whenever basically the gears are turning in their head. So whenever anything happens and all of a sudden it's turning yellow, you're like, oh, something just triggered in them right now. And they're processing that. And I really dig that, which is what makes it so impactful then when so far two of mine have popped theirs out. So you're like, okay, that's going to change that now. So we're going to have to rely more on their facial cues, which while very close to human, isn't quite the same. Um, The Marcus character, which is the Jesse Williams character, is unbelievable. And he does his scenes with Lance Henriksen, who's a disabled artist, which I really dug everything they did with him, with his house, with his setup so that he could paint and everything because it's futuristic, but he'd still have a setup so that, you know, with hydraulics and everything to be able to paint. I love their relationship because it's a... It's a type of a son for Lance's character because his own son's a fucking douchebag. But when Marcus winds up being shot as well, and there's no way to get past that, that's where you have the scene where he got dumped into a landfill of androids that are still, some of them, conscious. And some of them, if you stop and talk to them, sound very sentient as well. It is a unbelievably impactful moment and so well done in terms of in terms of the gameplay here. I'm hoping you didn't have issues in that scene because it was so well done because both one of your eye sockets as well as your ear your audio interface are busted as well as your power core. And your fucking legs. They did, they did a number on you. So you have to crawl around until you find legs to replace yours. Then walk around until you can find, again, an, an eye, uh, an, an audio piece of jam in your ear, as well as your a power core because yours is going. So you're interacting with semi-conscious 
sometimes androids and clawing your way through. And it's like we're talking piles and piles and piles of them. It was disturbing because of the human analogy that continues to occur in different parts of the world. And disturbing just because it was well done for some shock value as well. Those horror movie jump scares when somebody grabs at you kind of thing. But then it sucks you in with that moment where the android is either begging for you to take their life or begging for you not to take their life. Unbelievably well done. And when he gets to the top and he is looking up, rain pouring off of this man and he's got two different colored eyes and he says, I am Marcus or my name is Marcus. Holy fucking hell. Highlight in gaming for for the year so far for me. I, I thought it was that impactful and that well done. And with that, we we have to move on. The other two have been silent long enough. We got to give them a chance to talk and I need a fucking break. So, Marty, <laughs> why don't you tell us about some Pokemons? All right. So every I feel like every time we record, it's like uh, adding one to the checklist of why I need to buy a Switch. Uh, Pokemon Let's Go Eevee, there it is. Like, I can't not. I'm when, like, while Roger was talking about Detroit, I was thinking of like, what can I cut out of my budget so I can buy a Switch November 16th? Because that's when this game comes out. Um you're going to return to the Kanto region and experience a classic Pokemon adventure. Uh, the Polygon article, uh, which I read to bone up on this, um, this game looks so much fun. I don't know what happened to me. I don't care. I didn't care about Pokemon even when Go came out, and then all of a sudden, I can't. I can't stop playing. Um, and Eevees are some of my favorite Pokemon's. But basically, it's going to be a. Uh, a successor to Pokemon Yellow, from what I read, uh, the only difference between uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee will be uh, the Eevee or Pikachu that you get at the beginning. That's it. They will not evolve. They'll just be your your constant companion like Ash's Pikachu. However, you do have the option to uh, put them into cute little outfits, which, again, <laughs> let's check that box. Um there will be, it's limited to the Kanto region right now, but the Alolan region Pokemon variations are going to come. And there will be one new Pokemon being added to this game. The number one reason, though, other than Eevee, uh, that I think this is going to be like, super cool, is that you replace the Joy-Con controller with a goddamn Pokeball that you just throw. <laughs> and I don't want to throw it at my TV, um, well, but I'm going to. You, you have to also keep in mind that that Pokemon ball, that Pokeball that they're giving you is not just for Pokemon Let's Go. Um, it also integrates with Bluetooth to your phone because it's made to work with Pokemon Go. Because one of the important features, which you haven't mentioned yet, is that you can import your Pokemon Go roster into Pokemon Let's Go. Holy shit, I didn't know that. Like, I read How did the, you not I, know that? I read three articles. I don't know how I missed this. Like, I get to import <laughs> shit. Holy okay. Christ. Joe, I apologize in advance. And the reason why is because you did that. And I'm going, I'm going to steal his fucking thunder. I'm sure he was going to talk about that later. Clearly not. That's fine. Always cut him off whenever for, you want, Joe. For me, like, seriously, it was like, give me the ball. That would be super awesome. But, like, you know, uh, I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, 
what costumes Evie's can get into and, and how does the ball work? And I didn't even see syncs up with my phone, which is going to make it difficult. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to do that, but anyway. Yeah. It's um, the, the, po- the, the pokey ball plus is what they've, they're calling it. Um, and it goes along with the uh, Pokemon go uh, tracker that you can get that allows you to, to actually track uh, Pokemon through the let's go app live in the world. That's the thing that vibrates. So you can literally link up the Pokeball to your phone. So when it vibrates, you can interact completely through it. I was going to (laughs) say, if it vibrates, you can say, hold on a second. My ball's vibrating. (laughs) It's a little watch looking thing that vibrates, but the ball itself is interesting because in Pokemon Go, uh, there's the mechanic, which for anybody who hasn't played it, where how you throw uh, the Pokeball gives you uh, an increased percentage on whether or not you successfully capture the Pokemon that you found. And the ball has such motion controls built into it that how you throw it, just like a, or how you make the motion, just like if you were to do a baseball, um, it, it reacts to that. So it translates the motions. Um, and the people that have, that I've seen that have fucked around with it say that it's pretty damn close to one-to-one. Oh my God. Um, so the reason why I've been excited about this, well, Roger gave the, this assignment, and the reason why I am excited about it, um, I'm not at all excited about Pokemon Quest, for the record. I looked at it, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. I can explain it, but I don't get it. Um, but my niece and my nephew play Pokemon Go on my brother's phone all the time. Uh, and so this is just going to be, you know, they don't have many other family members, but now I'm definitely going to be like, you know, number one cool uncle for having a, a, the Switch with Pokemon Go, I'm I'm sold. Oh, you're going to be even more of a better uncle, too, if it comes down to it, because at the end of the day, it's also going to have a co-op function, which I don't know if you... Oh, I was going to talk about the co-op yeah. function. Because Go for like, it. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it'll be a split... It, it, I don't think it's split screen, but you're going to be able to play... Same screen. Same screen with somebody else, and the, the pictures from on the Polygon article are really compelling and one person gets the pokeball one person gets a joy con but uh i'm 99 percent sure that i can play this game with shannon and we're gonna enjoy catching pokemon on the switch and this is just gonna be uh, an exciting exciting development you can also split the joy cons you don't have to use a pokeball and the joy con each player can use a joy con as well um because at the end of the day the controls are still based off of the original controls that were used for um, for lack of a better term, the, the Game Boy era generation of this particular thing. Um, so it's very, it doesn't need a whole lot as far as, you know, controls go. So you can use the Joy-Cons for all of that for both players. You don't need to have the additional control. Yeah. Um, you know, Pokemon is, is, was not my thing when I was a kid. Uh, I, I'm old, I'm too old for it. And I, but I'm, super excited for this game i i can't explain why um there's no such thing as too old for pokemon no. party i i think I, that's I, I'm true gonna, i'm gonna put this i'm gonna put this into to, to some prospects so my old manager from my old job has retired um he is a very old school british uh former military officer who loves fucking pokemon and i don't mean loves to fuck pokemon i mean he just loves pokemon in general like I reconnected with an old friend of mine that I haven't seen in damn near a decade. And we were talking about, you know, Pokemon Go and stuff like that. And she found out that I used to work for this person. And she was like, oh my God, I play Pokemon with him all of the damn time. 
because he's just so into it. So there, there's no such thing as too old for, for Pokemon. There, no such thing. Well, that's good to know. There is one other thing. Um, there will be Pokemon trading via the Switch. There will not be a breeding, and there will be no eggs in this version of Pokemon. Good. I, do I don't know, man. I like, I, I mean, that's how I count my steps right now. Like we went to the Chicago Botanic Garden and I took over every single gym in the Botanic Garden while I was looking at cool shit. Uh, I was also making sure everybody knew that it was my, uh, my Botanic Garden that day. So, All right. Well, there is another Pokemon clone if you do want breeding and if you want online and if you want an MMO and if you want it on the Switch too. So actually, Marty, I did a lot of fucking dark talking. Marty, you take this one too. Okay, so there's a Kickstarter now for a game called Temtem, where and, and it looks very solid. There, it's uh, you are uh, you live in the Airborne Archipelago, and you are going to catch and breed and befriend what are called Temtems, and they are basically Pokemon. Uh, there will it is an MMO. It's an ever living, always on game. Uh, the team rocket of this game seems to be the barony of, uh, let me pull this up. The, oh, excuse me, not the barony, the clan uh, Bel Soto. And they are a shady and enigmatic organization. Uh, but this game, you'll be hopping around the floating islands, where, hunting and playing with Temtem, and you have friendly battles between them. Uh, they also have digital Temtem, and somehow there's also a monastery dedicated to electric Temtem. There are 12 different um, types of Temtem, each with their own weaknesses. You know, for example, nature is strong against water and rock, but water is strong against fire and digital and rock, so on and so forth, just like your Pokemon. Uh, all the battles are uh, turn-based. Uh, the graphics look pretty sweet. They remind me of um, No Man's Sky, a little bit. Um, I would also, say it's a little better. Well, the No Man's Sky got a recent it's, patch. It's so, more cell shaded. Yeah. But yeah, I actually really dig the look of this, like a lot. I really like the aesthetic of it. There's, it is, it is an adorable game. I'll give it that. And the, it's totally online. And there's a a really great clip of people just running around in the game. Uh, you can. It looks like there's oh, there's going to be co-op adventures. There's housing for fuck's people. sakes. Oh, what's that? There's housing in this. Oh yeah, that's what got me because like housing was such is such a big deal in an MMO. Um, that and you can cosplay as your favorite Temtem. That was awesome. Um, and yeah, it looks like it's a fun game with an interesting story uh, and bad guys that are, uh, well, very, very much uh, what you would want in a you know in these types of games. Uh, I'm actually really surprised that nintendo hasn't shut this down yet at this yeah. point i don't think they, they can because they haven't trademarked this kind of thing like that nexamon game that i've mentioned before that's on ios that's the same thing it's a straight up pokemon clone like that well same thing with digimon so i i'm actually not right on game mechanics as long as they are legally distinct characters and worlds they can do whatever they want well that's what i mean like i'm looking at some of these character designs for some of the the temtem and they are eerily similar to a bunch of pokemon oh it's not so like, similar 
Eh, I, I don't know. Like it, it's skirting that line real, real dangerously. Yeah, they are skirting the line with some of them. There's, there is an Eevee looking like a character in, um, but then again, it's a bushy-tailed fox-like character. So I don't think you could patent a bushy-tailed fox. Otherwise, everyone would owe the little prince a whole bunch of the estate of the little prince a whole bunch of royalties. I kind of dig this. It's it's again. It's going to use a lot of the mechanics that we like in the same kind of gameplay that we like in Pokemon games or Digimon and things like that. But finally, a new story, a new setting, and and some different the fucker Temtems. Like like this thing. There's a reason why it got all of its money and then some inside of one day. It's at 113 thousand. All they asked for was 70, and there's still 27 days to go. Like all of the stuff that they're putting in especially the MMO type features that are going in. I'm I'm like I'm on the fence about whether I'll I'll kickstart it, but I'm probably actually will. And I may kickstart it at the $60 level because that gives you two copies and that way I can get the PC copy and if it gets high enough I'll get the Switch copy as well. I, I do like how they've got a roadmap for their development process and they're pretty clear about how long it's going to take and what we're going to be doing as if they have learned lessons from other failed video game Kickstarters, uh, which, and they've been, they're pretty clear. This company is pretty clear that this is their model. They are, there is a product that is, that they're working on. So. Yeah. And they've got other games that they've put out too. So yeah, I, again, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, let's move on to some Fallout news because we got some pretty cool Fallout. Well, depending on who you ask, <laughs> Joe, go ahead. It's, it's all over the place. So the first thing I'll talk about is the big reveal, which wasn't really that much of a reveal, more of a teaser, uh, which was a live stream that sort of just happened on Bethesda's channel, where for several hours it was a please stand by on a uh, old tube monitor with a you know little pit boy Voltec bobblehead on the desk with all sorts of random things happening in the background like a hand puppet uh and like somebody just randomly walking through eating like sardines out of a can like it was a weird fucking several hours and yet hundreds of thousands of people watched it for several hours and all of that to just give us a teaser trailer for what is going to be the new game, which is Fallout 76. Um, now, we don't know a whole lot about it, but there is some speculations. Most importantly is that if it's sh uh, Fallout Shelter, the vault Tech Vault number 76, it's not the first time we've heard of it. So Vault 76 is a control vault. There were only so many. There were 17 control vaults out of all of the vault tech vaults that were created throughout the entirety of the country. These are vaults that nothing bad was happening in them. There were no experimentations. They were exactly as I said on the tin. They were to keep people alive and to sort of just make sure that the population continued. There was no like all children vault. There was no cryogenics. It was you're going to live in this vault for X number of years, and then you're going to go back out into the world and, and take care of things. Well, Vault 76, which has been mentioned in Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, as well as Fallout 4, has been mentioned offhand in Fallout 2, uh, is unique in the fact that it was set to open up its doors 240 months, so basically 20 years, 
after the Great War, which means that the doors are opening in this particular experience before the events of the actual first Fallout game. There are no super mutants yet. The, the forced evolution virus hasn't been out there. Ghouls still haven't really been a thing yet, at least not that we know of. Uh, civilization is still crumbled and recovering because the radiation is still very much out there. So it's a, it's a completely different and new world that we may potentially be seeing. I like that idea. Very now much. from... Go ahead. No, I was just saying very much. Now, here's the thing, though. My main concern is that one of the things that, that they said is it's going to be an always online game. And my first thought was, okay, this sounds like with knowing where the story starts, knowing where the time frame is, and having the Vault 76 celebrate Reclamation Day, which is going out into the wasteland and recovering humanity, basically bringing back, you know, civilization, is I was worried that this is going to be a Rust clone. Now, you can take this with a grain of salt because we haven't heard anything else and we won't hear anything until uh, E3, which is soon-ish. I think it's next week. Uh, and I'm looking very much forward to that. But there have been several leaks from people that are apparently working on this game. Now, the other reason that I had sort of that fear is because the it's not just being done by Bethesda. It's also being done by, and I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but they were working on a hero shooter for Bethesda that got canceled and they started working on this. So I'm very curious how that's going to, to play into it. But anyway, somebody who supposedly works on this hit went on Reddit and uh, 4chan and some other places and leaked a whole bunch of information about what it's going to be, uh, which is it's not going to be um, a Rust-like experience that the building system is going to be a big part of it, just like the settlement system was in Fallout 4, that the, the settlement system was more of a test run to make sure that the system actually worked before trying to implement it in a grander scale. Because keep in mind, if this game is taking place 20 years after the bombs exploded, there's nothing there. So you have to build everything up by yourself, which makes a lot of sense. And the online part of it would make sense if you're doing it cooperatively. Um, it would also make sense if people turn into raiders, which I'm really interested in as far as how that's going to be handled. Because one of the things I've noticed in a bunch of the other games that have this sort of feature is griefing is a thing. How is that going to play out? And is it going to revolve around player-driven sort of storytelling? But the leaks, quote-unquote, say that it's going to be very much an RPG, that it is very much going to be dealing with everything that happens before the first Fallout games, that there is going to be um, mechanics that play into the always online portion of it, but they couldn't really specify what it's going to be. My hope for that is maybe it's not going to be this whole thing where, you know, you have to be online all the time and people could just fuck with your shit. I'm hoping that it's going to be more like almost like a co-op-y Dark Souls-ish type thing where it's like I can have my two friends join me for very difficult quests and things like that. Or, you know, players can leave notes for each other where they can say, hey, you know, found this here. Um, there's also going to be a higher emphasis on scavenged tools and improvised weapons because, again, this is very close after the bomb has, bombs have just dropped. This is only 20 years. This is less than a generation. So, you know, we don't have all these, you know, perfect robots laying around or, or that have been reclaimed and dusted off. We don't have all of these laser rifles or or everything that's been crafted since then. 
or all this reclaimed technology that have been discovered throughout, you know, the several hundred years over the Fallout universe's uh, sort of timeline. I was interested. Then when I had the Rust thought, I was very sad. Now I'm interested again because this is really, really cool to me because we don't have anything about any of the control vaults. Like, we know that they existed. We have no clue what the fuck happened with most of them. The idea that this is happening in a timeline where a lot of what we know about the Fallout universe doesn't exist yet. So it's sort of at that forefront of creating the universe, which I think is very has a lot of potential. It's something that's going to be to watch, and I'm very, very excited to see what they reveal for it for E3. As somebody who put probably close to 50 hours into just building my Fallout 4 settlement, if that's essentially the game with obviously expanded systems, playable on a private server, either by myself or with a couple friends, done. Like, done. I don't oh. have to say anything else. <laughs> and I should say that the the area that it's going to be taking place, it's very heavily hinted that it's going to be West Virginia, um, simply because the song... Uh, that is playing in the trailer is Country Roads. Um, and as we've known from any of the other trailers that they've released for any of their games, uh, the music choice is not coincidental. Um, and we also know that that would make sense if this is Vault 76, because we know Vault 76 was in the D.C. area, so having it in West Virginia makes perfect sense. So I think that's actually cool, too, because it's an area that a lot of players have been clamoring to go back to uh, since Fallout 3 is, we'd like to see more of that. Anything else on on Fallout 76 from any of you guys before I move on to the other Fallout news? Oh, it's a Fallout game that I'm interested in, which is, you know, I was I loved Fallout 3. Fallout 4, I didn't really care for. Heathen. I know. I'm interested, but it's very much going to depend on how it plays out. Like, like Vince was saying, if it's a system that is primarily the building up your shelter and things like that, and you can do it with others if you choose to or whatever... Yeah, I, I'm all right with a game being set in that world that's that simple even. The only problem is, is if it's if it's going to have griefing in it where I can't leave it for X amount of time or I have to have turrets and the turrets have to always be working. If not, somebody can break in or whatever. I don't want any of that bullshit. bullshit. Give me an, an yeah. instanced kind of thing where it's just me and whoever I give permission to. And even then I can set permission that, yeah, Vince can create shit and all that and he can and he can do everything. But when Marty comes over, he ain't moving nothing. <laughs> he can interact with stuff, but he can't <laughs> fucking build his shit. <laughs> and so if it gives you options like that, that's even better like that's the kind of thing that fuck yeah i will spend a lot too much time building up my settlement to be some weird fucking shit or working with you guys kind of thing altogether. i i would love that see and the only thing that i would be afraid of is and this is and i don't want anybody to think i'm against this because i play games like arc and pixar and conan exiles i like those games for what they are but the problem that I have with those games, too, is that if you want to have a non-grief experience, which I don't care about PvP in those games, that's not why I play them, uh, you have to pay for a private server, and that's expensive. Because not only are you buying a game and any content that comes with it, um, that you're going to have to worry about, you know, I have to pay $120 a year to have a minimal server up and running with a third party. I don't want that to be the case because I have a feeling it's going to be a $60 game 
and then you're going to have another situation where like is it worth another 120 dollars at that point to play it because it has to be online it, it, it it's a it's a concern um also the other thing that should be noted and this was something that was sort of leaked is that there is going to be no uh third-party mod support for fallout 76 partially because of the always online thing and if it has to always be online because of that um I, I can kind of accept that if that's sort of their way of saying we don't want third-party mods anymore because there's a rather large collection of adult mods that they don't want associated with their game. I can get that, but it's all everything that's going to be released is going to be done through the creation club for Fallout 76. And they've been wanting to do that since 4 released. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But the creation kit uh, and will still be available for players. So they may try to move it to Bethesda.com. Don't know. We'll find out more about that. Now, speaking of mods, and this is one that we've we've talked about in the past, uh, and I think it is absolutely phenomenal that it's actually getting a release date, is that we got Fallout New California, uh, which is a five years ago it started out with a couple folks creating a complete overhaul mod uh, to Fallout New Vegas where they basically created a complete game, story quest, voice acting, everything as a mod uh, to continue the story of Fallout New Vegas to take us into New California, which is something we haven't done since Fallout 1 and 2, which takes place in California. Uh, the best part about this mod is that as expansive as it is, it's going to be free, which I think is absolutely cool. And this is in the same vein that we've seen very expansive, almost expansion-like quality mods for Skyrim, for Fallout 4, uh, Fallout 3, for Fallout New Vegas over the course of the years that fans have made, developed, and put out there. And this looks to be very ambitious, very large, uh, even by those standards. Uh, it has some of the best, like, how do I put this? a ton of voice actors, which I think is absolutely crazy. Custom music, like they actually had a band or two bands come and create songs for this mod. Uh, complete 3D and 2D animations that they've created specifically for it. Uh, they have a team of writers that are doing the actual scripting. They have character and concept artists. Like They've actually done this as if they were a full development team or an independent development team, which is crazy cool and it's just a free mod like yeah i'm floored okay let's move on from there though because we're getting close to the end and vince still had a couple of things he wanted to talk about so vince you wanted to talk about both vampire and D D. go yes starting off with vampire because it's out now uh it released this evening on pc and it'll be out early on consoles tomorrow yeah and the reviews are pretty much as expected it's getting relatively solid reviews mostly in the seven to eight range it basically comes down to what do you like in a game because everybody's really praising the story the characters and the world but the actual combat gameplay is pretty clunky and uninteresting but it's it's definitely that type of game where if you care more about one than the other that's going to kind of affect what you do but a couple weeks ago, the uh, developers did a great stream of showing off some of the game. Uh, it's about an hour of gameplay. They said it was six hours into the game. So it wasn't really much in the way of spoilers. Like you saw like one little quest line, but really just expanding upon 
what the game is <laughs> because we've we've gotten a lot of like kind of cryptic things but not a real solid understanding of what it is and how it works and they as we know well as i hope you, any of our listeners know because we've been talking about this game for a fucking year and a half i think at this point <laughs> is that you play a doctor in early 20th century london during the spanish flu outbreak who becomes a vampire and well does vampire things uh, as we just are learning the main storyline of the game is to find out what vampires are because while they've drawn inspiration from Bram Stoker and Rice and that they're also doing their own uh, interesting twist on the vampire lore so and how he can cure himself of the affliction and this breaks down as we said you can choose who to feed on uh, if you want to you can go through the game without feeding at all and it, it, it was breaking down to some interesting narrative things, but actually seeing the mechanics behind those narratives have really elevated this game in my eyes to, to something really cool in that it takes place across, I think they said four wards, maybe five, with 60 citizens. That doesn't mean there's only 60 people in the world. There's just 60 people important enough to have names and characters and, and whatnot. And they're all interconnected with their own storylines and you, as the player, can feed on any of them as you wish. But there's more to it because there's different amounts of experience you can get from feeding on them. That's how you gain XP. That's how you gain new abilities for combat. So you can make the game very easy by just going on a rampage and killing everything. Or you can make it very hard by trying to be the pacifist route, but when the vampire hunters or the other supernatural creatures that are haunting the streets show up, you're going to have a bit of a tougher time. How you can increase your XP per kill, though. A, the big thing is blood quality. If somebody's sick, which everybody in London at this time is sick in one way or another, they're not going to have good quality blood. They're not going to be good to feed on. You're not going to get a whole lot of XP from it. So you actually have to be a doctor and keep the city healthy. There's uh, meters in the game uh, of how panicked the different wards are. And if they're healthier, if you're doing a good job of being a doctor in addition to being a creepy stalker murder person, then people will be happier, healthier, and you'll get benefits like shops. Stuff will be cheaper because it, the economy's flowing better. People aren't hiding in their houses. If it gets too bad, there's literally riots in the street and entire sections of London can fall and will be cut off to you in the gameplay for the for the remainder of that run. But in addition to that, you're not just feeding off their blood. It's it, it, they're bringing in some of like the the psychic vampire myth of once you drink someone's blood, you gain their memories, you gain uh, their knowledge, some of their skills even, and you can further increase that by learning more about the characters before you feed on them. The better connection you have to that character before you absorb them, the more rewarding it's going to be from a gameplay perspective. So the way they're merging the narrative and the gameplay side of things is really very interesting in that it's not just who I got to kill, who's the next quest, but going around talking to all the people, learning things about all these people, deciding who's going to be the most advantageous kill, both for improving yourself and not ruining the fucking city that you're still trying to save. And it's it's really very interesting. And they're saying that a typical playthrough of this game is going to be 30 hours 
with so many different possibilities. It's absolutely fascinating to me. It's they, they, really impressive too, considering like if they're saying 30 hours is the average playthrough, that's more than most 60 games deliver. So mm -hmm. kudos, kudos to them on that. There was this one scene that really stood out to me in the stream they did where um, he's dealing with this uh, this nurse who's kind of moving in on uh, trying to do her own practicing. And it, I don't know the story behind it because they skipped over that. But essentially, she's somebody he's interested in as a potential target. Don't have to kill her, but that's kind of the main quest objective for this point of the game. So he finally like does his investigations, kills a few people, gains some new skills is able to talk his way into her office where she's operating on a patient and she's operating on this patient and they think and she thinks it's just the flu but as he's in there and the patient's getting worse and worse they realize it's something else i don't know if it's vampirism per se but it's they're they're getting into that there's other strains of illness that are unnatural that are afflicting people and that's that's what this guy's problem is so the main character is like he's like, okay, I'm a doctor, you're a nurse, and they 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 get into like the typical doctor nurse formula. Okay, you know, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna poke a hole in his throat so he can breathe. Oh, there's fluid in the lungs. And as he's cutting this guy open, and there's blood everywhere, his eyes are turning red. The veins are protruding on his face. He's starting to grow fangs. He's losing control. And as they say, that's because he hasn't been a very good guy on this playthrough. If you are giving into your bloodlust more frequently in the gameplay segments, that's going to be reflective in the narrative of he was barely able to contain himself and the patient ended up dying because of that. Whereas if you're more contained, you limit your kills, that narrative scene is going to play out much differently for you. It's fucking awesome. Not for you, Walt. <laughs> <laughs> I already know what playthrough you're going to have. Well, as they say, uh, it is possible. Let me try to try and find this quote. Uh, yeah. Um, that there's certain NPCs that are like the pillars of society and killing them will have uh, bigger effects. Uh, if a district status lowers enough, the district will collapse, which will result in the player being blocked off from any hints or side quests that may have been available there. You will still be able to finish the game if you let all four districts collapse, but you will receive, quote, the ending you deserve. Nice. I'm in. I, How much is this game? It's a $60 game. Okay. No, it's not. Yeah, it, it's, it's listed at $60 on the PlayStation Store. I know that much. <laughs> uh, on Steam, it's $49.99. Okay, interesting. Yeah, Steam tends to be cheaper. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where I can see the... That it's worth the price, but I wonder if a lot of other gamers aren't going to kind of see that. Uh, I, I I hope this game does well, but I can foresee a scenario where it might struggle a bit, uh, at least financially. But who knows? I don't know what the budget was on the game. No, honestly, it's right up our alley. I, I could give a rat's ass if the combat is really that great or if it's mm -hmm. just passable. But if the story is that part we, is good... We, We've been interested in it for so long, but we were also kind of skeptical because it was pretty ambitious for what they were saying. And it, they weren't really giving a lot of concrete information as to what the game was until I saw this video a couple weeks ago that completely locked it in for me. All right, moving on to D&D. &D. Motherfucking Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, this was a huge, huge week for D&D. &D. Uh, Joe can back me up here, uh, starting off with the uh, full release of their latest uh, source book, 
Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, which oh, goes so into a lot of lore, much like Volo's Guide to, to, to Monsters did. It's not just extra stat blocks. It delves into a ton of lore behind it. Uh, the demons and the devils and the history of the war, the history of the elves and uh, the deep races, the gnomes, the, the dwarves. Like, there is a lot of great stuff here in addition to just mechanical stuff. Like there's some cool new player options, but just reading this background has been beautiful. And it's all Forgotten Realms setup? Yes and no, because the whole concept of Tomophos is that the it's kind of based on the extraplanar entities. So the Abyss, the Nine Hells, Ooh, uh, the okay. Feywild, the Shadowfell, that sort of stuff. So it's tied in with the Forgotten Realms, but I don't think much, if any, of the book is actually specifically for Forgotten Realms. No, and that's one of the things they've been doing with their settings is that it's for it's Forgotten Realms in all but name, if that makes sense. Because totally. they, they've kind of smashed everything together in 5th edition. So, like, while Ravenloft exists, it's not entirely its own plane of existence anymore. Oh, no, it uh, still is. Eh, yes, but it touches the material plane a lot more than it used to. Eh, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, they've they've made it. They like Eberron and stuff like that. Like they're they kind of just like butted them all up against each other, so you can just kind of flow. Yeah, there, there's no real lore for the other settings yet. That's something we'll get to, but uh, they they're definitely starting to blur the lines. That's for sure. Uh, additionally, this weekend was their huge Stream of Many Eyes event where they announced a whole bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, firstly, and uh, the, the smallest one, it, it actually had apparently been announced previously, but this is the first I heard of it. The Neverwinter MMO, the next expansion they're getting, their next free content update, is actually Barovia, which definitely oh, shit. triggered my interest because I fucking love Ravenloft. Uh, so I actually picked up the game the other day on PS4 because my PC is a little iffy. Uh, Allie's been playing the game a lot over the past couple months and she's been enjoying it. I've played a handful of hours. I'm like level 20 something. I like it a lot more than I did the first time I tried it several years back, even though nothing's really changed. Maybe it's just my perception has changed. I was going to say your perspective has probably shifted. Yeah. Uh, I still think that due to the fact that it's rooted in the fourth edition D&D, there's a lot of stuff I'm not crazy about. Like, it still doesn't feel very D&D to me as far as, like, what I want, as far as playable options. Like, there's only eight classes, two of which are fighter. <laughs> so uh, there's no bards, no druids, no barbarians. Like, it, it feels a little restrictive from a gameplay standpoint. But the world, the questing, it's fun. And knowing that once I get to level cap and can start the campaigns and I can go do... Uh, the the jungles of Cholt. I can go do uh, the Plains of Elemental Evil, Storm King's Thunder. Like they've based essentially an entire content expansion on each of the major uh, fifth edition adventures at up to this point. So, and the next one being Barovia, I, I definitely have to check that out. But the big stuff is, of course, mm -hmm. the new adventure modules they announced. Uh, they started off Friday night with announcing. Waterdeep Dragon Heist, continuing their trend of not doing traditional D&D adventures. Like, they've done, you know, typical, okay, you got to go kill the big monster sort of stuff, but they did uh, with Curse of Strahd. It was a, it was a horror game. 
uh, Out of the Abyss was essentially a, a chase adventure, if you will, at first trying to escape captivity and then trying to beat the bad guys before they can cause chaos. Um, Tube of Annihilation, very heavy exploration, survival, uh, hex crawl themed stuff. Like they've actually really been pushing the boundaries of what traditional D&D can be. Like these types of games have always existed on the periphery, but not necessarily as published content. So I really enjoy that they're bringing a lot of new mechanical ideas into the forefront. And we get that here where this is pretty much a fairly combat light sort of adventure from what they're talking about, that it's going to be based on intrigue and spying and dealing with the underworld. And it, it's literally a heist story where you're stealing a fantastic treasure from Waterdeep, the, the huge crown jewel of the forgotten realms. It's, they're talking about like all the different villains are in there. Uh, the DM can pick one of four villains at the beginning of the adventure, and mm -hmm. that will determine a like the main storyline uh, as to what the players are going to be going up against, as well as what season the adventure actually takes place in. So you could potentially play this scenario multiple times with very different feels to it. I like a lot of what I'm seeing here. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that in particular because. Mm, while combat can be fun, uh, it can also be very tedious. And some of the stuff that they've released um, for, like, the Adventurer's League type stuff, which is, you know, not necessarily quite the same thing. Yeah. Um, but it's – there was one where I was actually in a heated argument with somebody because there's a, a, a scenario that if your players fail all of their skill challenges, it has, like, 48 animated armors that they have to fight, which is just <laughs> dumb. That's stupid. It's very stupid. Um, yeah, Adventurers League still needs a lot of work, unfortunately. It does. But when you look at, like, the actual, like, campaign stuff and the modules that they're releasing, like you said, they're taking risks. They're not just these cookie-cutter, you know, go beat up ten gnolls and, and, and you move on with your life type thing. It's And I really like that because I like those stories. I like the idea of having those political intrigues. I love the idea of having something in Waterdeep which is just fucking amazing. Um, it's, I like that. I really, really, really dig that. I don't know about you guys. I spent a lot of my teens and early 20s in Waterdeep, and uh, I am always tempted to go back. Uh, Forgotten Realms was my, one of my first was RPG loves. What's that? <laughs> Dur during the, during the height of Waterdeep, I, my, my character at the time was completely banned from the city. Nice. On threat of death. <laughs> oh, I love those days. Yeah, um, I'm excited about it. I just, I do love the idea of pushing D&D &D to be more of the story game that, like, I've always played, almost always played it as, except, you know, when I first discovered the game and discovered what a power fantasy was, that was dumb. But hey, I grew out of most of that. <laughs> so yes, Dragon Heist comes out uh, this September, but they weren't done there. They, no. they, had, a, they had a one more thing going on. Uh, and Saturday night, they announced the second part of the Waterdeep Adventures coming out in November, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, where you're going into the famous Undermountain Dungeon, home of one Halister Blackcloak. Oh my god. The mad wizard who has turned this, the area underneath Waterdeep into a 23-level dungeon. That's not just a dungeon full of stuff. There's 
weird magics at work. There's water areas. There's forests. There's entire castles well, under there. Vince, you, you can't go to Waterdeep without having Skullport. Come exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. So whereas Dragon Heist is the level 125 adventure, Dungeon of the Mad Mage is going to cover levels 6 through 20. This is going yeah. to be a shit ton of content. And I don't know about you guys. I adore Mega Dungeons with Maze of the Blue Medusa. I, I, we, I've talked about that. Uh, the current rekindling campaign I'm running for Alley. That is a huge Mega Dungeon. I love doing these very mechanical things that you can tell a story within. It's not, we're going to spend a couple hours talking in town and then go do the fighting stuff. You can have a room of a fight, and in the next room, there's an NPC to talk to or a puzzle to solve. Like, a well-designed mega dungeon is just my D&D dream, and oh, man. And they're, they're sort of, the other thing that really excited me about that, too, is not only they're talking about that, uh, and that's sort of why you're going into the, the sort of mega dungeon to begin with, but they're hinting, and we were talking about this the other day, mm -hmm. they're hinting very, very heavily at something that I have been waiting for desperately since 5th edition was released, and they keep dropping hints that Spelljammer may not be too far behind. And not just do dropping hints. There's people who spoke somewhat off the record at the event have said the next uh, word, <laughs> the next supplement they're releasing for 5th edition is going to be for other settings. It might just be a big book of uh, other stuff, but... We saw here, they made it a point to talk about Halister having his Spelljammer helmet. It's yeah. no coincidence that they just released Mordenkind and Tomes of, Tome of Foes, yep. which focuses on the other planes and, not, and yeah. also bringing in the motherfucking Gith. <laughs> so the interstellar hippos are well, not, are not just the Gith, but they also the Thrykreen are back. Mm -hmm. And like, they're, 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 they're and, even, uh, I'll even go like, did you actually watch any of the, the, yeah, stuff? Did you watch the last game, Jocks Machina? Yes. One of those characters was straight up from Dark Sun. Yes. So what? they're not even, yeah, one oh of the, the big show, the, the 500 pound, seven foot tall wrestler was playing a character from Dark Sun. Yeah. And, and I, I was waiting for that to happen too. Because, like I said, Thrykreen were back, and that came back in Volos. Um, and that was one of the major races of Dark Sun. Dark Sun was my jam. Um, I ran Dark Sun. Yeah. I ran Dark Sun like nobody's fucking business. But that gives me excited because we might see moles again, um, which are one of my favorite things. That means psionics are probably going to be coming back. Oh, Mike uh, Merles, the, the, the lead designer of 5th edition. He's actually been doing weekly streams, the Mike Merles Happy Fun Hour. <laughs> where he he does he does on stream game design and the thing he's been working on very heavily uh lately has been uh the mystic and psionic classes yeah which people have been clamoring for since the fifth edition was released this you're they're giving me everything i've wanted for the last 20 years thank you <laughs> Fuck I don't know how to feel you. about being happy with the Dungeons and Dragons product. It's a very strange feeling. No, you know, I know exactly how to feel. I know exactly how to feel. And I think I can sum it up very, very succinctly. Shut up and take my money. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, all these fucking books. What they're doing with the product is just absolutely without fail at this point. Everything they put out is quality. It, it's stuff fans want. Even if they don't know they want it, once it comes out, they realize they always did want it. Uh, the the hobby is thriving right now, uh, thanks in no small parts to 
the huge success of various streams. And then I also really want to point out, I loved watching Stream of Many Eyes because it was three days of D&D and there weren't a whole lot of white dudes there. Yeah, it was very, very diverse and it made me very happy. Yeah, so... Because that's always been a safe... Like, for me, D&D has always been a safe haven as far as that goes. So seeing that represented like that made me really fucking happy. So yeah, thumbs up all around Dungeons and Dragons forever. And with that, we were going to call it a wrap for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find in the show notes for this at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on Twitter and on iTunes and on Stitcher and all that bullshit. We've been through this before. We're just going to bed now. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy my demo and my initial take. West side of Chicago is the Barron's part of town. But if you go down there and you got the yens, you can hire Bab and Limbs. Now Babs is the muscle. She stands about eight foot four. And her chummer limbs calls down the spirits. Mr. Johnson just pays their price. And it's Babs, Babs, Babs and Limbs. Baddest slots in the whole damn town Badder than a pissed off whiz Meaner than a razor girl Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.